we do like cool stuff and like you you're making like it's not curing cancer but it is it's magic and it's you know like there's something kind of there's an intangible to that that kind of like again if you're just totally miserable find something else (laughs) yeah you know like life is too short to be miserable but if you love it like the hours might be miserable sometimes but they're fun they're war stories welcome to pictures up the podcast where we discuss careers in filmmaking today i am talking with kyle hinshaw who is an Atlanta-based locations manager. A few of his credits include being the locations manager for the upcoming Bad Boys for Life, which is the new sequel in the Bad Boys franchise. He also was the locations manager on First Man, as well as Need for Speed that was filmed in Atlanta a few years ago. He's got a list of credits as long as my arm, but those are just a few of the most recognizable titles. Kyle has a lot of good insight for those interested in producing or locations management and also what it's like to work in the Atlanta market because that's uh, that's where he's based. So let's go ahead and get started talking with Kyle. I started messing around with video in college and uh, I'm not sorry, high school and probably my biggest <laughs> influence as a, you know, a child of the early 2000s was Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we'd make, you know, these like kind of non sequitur, you know, you know, joke videos or things where we're, you know, getting in trouble and mash them up. And we do like these videos for our, like people at my school. Right. And, uh, edit them all together. And at the end of the year, um, junior and senior year, we'd like pass out the DVDs. So like, (laughs) (laughs) nice. This is back before YouTube, of course, you know? So, uh, you know, we thought we were super high tech. <laughs> so were you doing jackass style stunts not, not, and stuff? Yeah, or? sometimes we were hurting people, uh, mostly ourselves. <laughs> right. And then other kind of like, you know, non like off brand Saturday Night Live, like, uh, <laughs> you know, the commercial style. And then um, so I got into college and I was going uh, to get just like basically a regular old English degree. Okay. And uh, uh, went to Georgia State. And, uh, you know, it's a big, you know, I think the graduating, my graduating class is like 5,000 people uh, in a commuter school uh, on top of that. So, um, you know, just trying to figure out like navigating downtown Atlanta and, you know, not no real plan of like what what's going to happen. And uh just ended up um, signing up for like a history motion pictures class because uh, it was a core like elective you could take and ended up you know one of the professors come to find out you know he teach also taught at like Emory and um, you know PhD uh, in I think visual arts or something like that and so like he so he had, had a, a really a strong background a very strong yeah. uh, theoretical background i don't think he necessarily was uh which is kind of what was uh you know as an english student really interesting because like like a film studies thing versus a film production yeah so that's kind of how i got into doing film studies and i uh started going for like a minor in film and then i think by like sophomore year i ended up taking a production class 
and it, uh, it was actually just um, it was a lighting design class and I oh, met interesting. Um, you know that was we actually kind of got to play around with at the time I don't even remember what I think it was a red camera <laughs> it's okay. like the only it was like the it was the best thing that they had at the time sure <laughs> I don't I don't remember like the technical specs of the cameras, but it was like not really that great. <laughs> Looking well, back on it, almost guaranteed it was a red one. Yeah, like what? What? When was like this, this was probably two thousand five. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a red one. Yeah, like that was more or less the only red camera. And it just so then. that that teacher, you know, um, was also um, like a local DP and. Um, I think more so like commercial gaffer. Okay. Like he would DP some things. And uh, so like, you know, he taught us how to like light certain things and like get creative with like, you know, rigging up, you know, non-movie lights, you know, just working with what you had. Right. Like he was pretty good at MacGyvering most things. (laughs) I remember using in one of his, like he basically just gave us like a bunch of stuff that you'd find around a house, like dryer sheets and stuff. And I was like, light this set with this i'm leaving (laughs) and like we had like an hour to figure it out and like i remember like silking things with like dryer sheets (laughs) it was crazy (laughs) so he you know he had he came from a practical side but you know it just kind of got the creative juices flowing production classes he actually introduced me to or he gave me a list of production companies when i got into my junior year and i ended up interning with uh a company that hired him a lot called Tomorrow Pictures in Atlanta and uh, started out as their production intern and uh, they had like this they were trying to start like basically an online network under their Tomorrow Pictures brand TomorrowPictures.tv so like ended up producing a lot of content for them like short videos a lot of it was public domain stuff so like basically just repurposing old footage and trying to like package it in an interesting way okay <laughs> this i mean this again is this, is, this is before youtube so okay. like or kind of like as youtube is coming out so like everybody's just trying to kind of figure out how to monetize like you know digital right. content and uh I, I don't think they were particularly well, successful at it but it gave me a lot of opportunity to you know work on editing things so, we'd go so out and, you were an intern like an office versus set or both or they were basically a commercial production company um and when i say commercial like they would do like two or three commercials a year that they'd there'd be a creative agency or a production company in la that would bid a project through them so they would i think effectively become the executive producers because they're they're the pass-through company that everything gets like payrolled through. I see. And uh, they'd help, you know, set up the production here, find them, uh, find them crew. And then like on top of that, they had all these client projects like through Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola was probably their biggest client and like Coke, you know, apparently well, that's a big client. Well, I'm, but we weren't like doing like the big national spots. It was like little internal videos. Oh, okay. Um, and, so we'd be producing some projects for them and some, you know, corporate industrials, like sizzle reels for like nothing, nothing really big. Like (laughs) the biggest thing I think by the time I was like a senior in college that I'd worked on was the Georgia lottery commercial. It's, you know, showing up on that set was, you know, it's even a small commercial can be kind of interesting and 
like seem big time whenever you're not around it, you know? Right. Well, it's interesting because what you're describing sounds so much like kind of what you're talking about, like the corporate industrial. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if you look at how many minutes of material are produced, my guess is that that's the majority of what actually gets made. I mean, obviously there's big high profile stuff going on. Right. But there's a lot of that, um, you know, some business needs something. Yeah. And I don't like... I wasn't privy to how much these jobs would bid for. Like, I think, you know, this is during kind of the height of the recession and people not spending money on this kind of stuff. And also kind of in a weird transitional point where like this new gear was coming out where like kind of anybody could go out and shoot it and still look professional, you know, like might not have like the filmmaking skills, but you have like access to this like great gear that like, even like amateurs could like turn out something that looked kind of okay, sounded okay. Right. So like, you know, it was kind of at the moment of devaluing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's it was true. just a weird time to be trying to find work and uh, for them as a company, you know, they could barely afford to pay me. I think I was making a thousand dollars a month, like okay. on South, like, cause I was still two fifty a week basically like not, I didn't even think about it like that but it, I, I told them I was working when I started with them as an intern I got through the first semester I think this was my sophomore year and so like it, I wasn't getting class credit anymore I was like I really want to stay on with you guys and like I think I can quit my job and just work for you if you can afford to pay me a grand a month <laughs> okay like that's kind of it wasn't it you know looking back on it I made the worst deal possible <laughs> Well, but, but as an intern, it was, you were an intern, real, right? Yeah, but I was still working like 30, 40 hours a week. So. But still, I mean, a lot of um, film industry internships are not paid at all. So if you think of it in that context, getting $1,000 a month is yeah. definitely better than... It went on like that for two years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was, I guess, trading out, I was making connections and... Uh, you know, when those when they would bid on those jobs and get the jobs with the big commercials, like I'd meet, you know, local production supervisors and local commercial producers and, you know, even, um, I can't remember. I think some of the ADs, you know, sometimes would call me for if they needed extra PAs. So you were stuff. meeting people. I was meeting people. You know, they always say that, especially when you're starting out, the most valuable thing you can get from a gig is connections, yes. right? And you were. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, I, I, you know... To kind of go back to what you asked me before we started talking officially here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the biggest thing or the biggest advice I can tell anybody about, like, you know, just getting started in the bit, whether they're students or not, like, you just got to work, like, hustle to work. Like, even if it starts out, um, you know, working on some projects for free, just like you have no real skills, like, at that point, even if you, you know think you know a lot like you don't that's just the nature of any any industry i think like there's the like the actual knowledge you learn in school versus like using it in practice right like that's unteachable in a classroom to a certain extent um if you so on the job training you're you gotta look at kind of like as a on the job training and just like trying to meet as many people as you can because you never know where that next job is coming from. Right. Um, there's no guarantees. 
Um, you don't even have to get fired in <laughs> business. Like, you can just like you know rub somebody the wrong way, and they're like, okay, I'm just not hiring them next time. It's not like big enough to like get fired off of something, but like you're just not going to get hired. Yeah, I think that's one thing that makes the film industry sort of different than a lot of traditional employment is that you are by default not working sort of you know so you don't like you say you don't have to get fired not to get work again right because you're by default you know they have to actively uh work to hire you again and if they don't like you for any reason you can think of they just may not do that it's not even like a you're right and but it's not even as sinister as like they don't like you it's just like oh that person just isn't as driven as this person and if i only have two spots versus three on the next job to hire this per like that position like you know i like him but like i need these other two people they're just stronger you know it's not oh it's like it's survival of the fittest interesting so that, okay that's an interesting <laughs> you know I mean? difference in perspective it, it's not necessarily as much as like Oftentimes, it's really not personal at all. It's just yeah, practical. It's, it's like, like you're who's, doing who's what's going to do the best work. You're doing what's best for you as a department head, or you, doing what's best for the show. Or like, I've had some people, or some I've hired people in the past that I thought worked really hard, but like, either like they just weren't as, you know, positivity goes a long way when you're working fourteen hour, fourteen sixteen hour days, and like. You know, if you're just constantly having to, like, talk to somebody, like, give them a back rub, like, hey, it's okay, like, we're going to get through it. Like, you just don't have to put up with that. Like, <laughs> right. You know, you can find somebody that, like, works equally as hard with a better attitude, and it's not, like, anything personal. Like, I'd still go, like, you know, have a coffee with them or, you know, take their calls. It's just, like, yeah, survival of the fittest. Well, you, you hire people <laughs> to solve problems, not to... Yeah. to give you more work to you do want right people that like kind of take some of the load off yeah right like there's i don't know cool so you were working <laughs> uh that's no that's that's great that's great advice. <laughs> we got off um, on a huge tangent there so you were working as an intern you worked there yeah, for I mean, a couple of years technically i got like promoted to you know i got this associate producer title which i thought was like you know, I admit I'm an associate producer. It wasn't until like a couple of years later I found out that's kind of a BS title. <laughs> right. Isn't that like the... <laughs> that's basically like an assistant to the producer. <laughs> like associate producer yeah. is like the most ambiguous... It's, you can throw it like, away. It's a throwaway title. Yeah. And like, but like it, for all intents and purposes, I was probably their in-house production coordinator because I was like... You know, kind of helping set things up, was keeping the office running, keeping their supplies up, um, managing their digital content. You know, we had servers and, you know, client projects. I would end up sometimes, like, they, my bosses went on this, like, one-month tour of, like, three different countries for a Coca-Cola project. They were basically shooting internal best practices videos for um, Coke that only get shown like so it was all proprietary information and only certain people could work on it because it's right. you know classified classified non-disclosure yeah. stuff um and so they took like basically a three-man crew and went and shot these three different um bottling plants and then put together videos uh for them so while they were gone like two client projects came in that I actually got to produce 
and uh, basically, you know, saw it through from meeting with the client the first time. So you got the, these things essentially landed in your lap while other people were away. Right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> believe it or not, that was by the time they got back, I had like basically just trying to like impress them, had completely redone the whole off like that rearranged all the office like got it set up like everything cataloged and it like pissed them off they were oh. like they like i like looking back on it like i probably should have just i just wanted to do something nice and talk to them but like i don't know if i'd like they thought i was too big for my britches or um they were just annoyed that like things hadn't they hadn't really been consulted as fully as they wanted to or right. i mean th and that's looking like having a little more maturity about it like i think i would have been equally rubbed the wrong way but like there was no like regard for like the intention behind it right. they just like were like so like that was also i it, i should back up i had like graduated by that point and was still working for them like a, like a grand a month, <laughs> right. and like had already kind of started the process of like yo like we need to like talk again about like what I'm making like right and uh, like I didn't have health insurance at that point and like it was just it was getting to the point where I was like this isn't working and like they don't even really seem like they value me <laughs> what I'm right. doing here so uh, I started looking elsewhere. And uh, they kind of encouraged me to do that. Like, I can't say that I got fired, but like, because I like, I started the process, but it was almost like, a, yeah, yeah, I think it's time. Like, we can't really afford to keep you around anymore. Like, <laughs> okay. So it's it's interesting. Cause I, whenever I hear people's stories, it you know, it makes me think of things that I've experienced or seen. And my first job out of college, I I had not the same story exactly but i had some similar experiences and i you know earlier you alluded well i shouldn't put it on you but i because i don't know if that, that was your experience um but i think for a young person who's trying to prove themselves oftentimes they do work at a level that can be um threatening or challenging or something to the to the people that they're working sure for. yeah and I think usually people, you know, the, the entry-level people who are doing that are doing it with the best intention and really for recognition. It's one, you're trying to say, hey, I am valuable. Yeah. Please recognize that I'm valuable. And, and that unfortunately sometimes produces the opposite result, you know, where they withhold that. Right. From you. And it sounds like that's what they did. They, you, you wanted to show them your value and and do things for them and and they were sort of like not so fast we're not we're not on board I, you're right i think th the biggest learning <laughs> thing that i got from that like the lesson i learned from that and like experience now kind of on the flip side as a manager of people is some jobs only have like a certain level <laughs> that you can like you you outgrow them right right and like if you're hired to do a specific thing that person needs you to do that specific thing not saying like you can't exceed their expectations or take that extra step but like if you're trying to like work above the level that like you've been hired to do or like maybe 
stepping way out of bounds. Like I, I see it now because I, despite the intentions, I definitely like was way out of bounds with what I did. You weren't staying in your lane. I wasn't staying in my lane. Yeah. And, uh, they really, I think, just needed somebody to stay in their lane. And, like, right. that wasn't for me, so I moved on. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> right. If I had stayed there, you know, I'd probably, you know, not be, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now and would probably be pretty miserable doing what I was doing. Like, I, I was creatively and monetarily and <laughs> right. everything else. It was, right. I had reached that cap, and you just got to know like as scary as it is like I don't know I didn't know what I was going to do um I kind of had like this dangled through one of my connections with them like uh, uh a production supervisor was going to try to get me on uh <laughs> the reboot of Room Raiders in New York and they're like you know I might be able to take you up to New York with me like and it would have been you know would have been clearing like what I was making in a month and like three three or four days so it's like yeah now, did like, you quit before you had anything else lined up well that's it's not that I quit I was like I think by the end of the year like it sounds like Keith's gonna get me this job on Room Raiders and like you know like I just need to start like looking for something that's gonna actually like allow me to take care of myself like I don't right. have insurance I don't have right any way to really save any money while I'm doing what I'm doing with you guys uh and you know like That conversation was a little uncomfortable, but I got the very distinct feeling like they were probably going to let me go if I hadn't had talked to them around that time. Right. So, yeah, I I started like kind of just hustling and like emailing everybody I could that I had met. The Room Raiders thing did not come through. Um, and then the in Georgia we have this thing called the Oz, like source book. It's basically like for out of town producers to come in and flip through and like have contacts for Oz, like OZ, OZ, yeah. okay, the Oz uh, Creative Sourcebook. Okay, yeah, and that's for the state. Um, it's an independent publisher, but oh, interesting. yeah, like you can basically take out an ad in it. You pay to be in it, right? Like they emailed me like every quarter, like <laughs> you want to be in Oz, like, and okay. I, I've never listed myself in it because like I just don't get work that way um, but like a lot of commercial producers and production supervisors and gaffers and um, equipment rental places they all have like listings in this place so like I emailed right. everybody <laughs> in that hey I'm you know just looking for work like yeah and nothing came out <laughs> but I had a friend from high school that was uh, an assistant production office coordinator on like this Cartoon Network movie that was shooting and she got me in it was a long story but I ultimately ended up in the location department <laughs> making maps <laughs> for the location manager and you know with the that was in prep and then like you know basically prepping all the maps and like helping him like prep the show he had like an assistant location manager in me. And uh, I don't think if uh, I had, had that, not had that post background, like I didn't know how to make maps, but like, you know, I, that's not why I told them. <laughs> They're like, can you, can you make maps? I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll do whatever. And so like, I just like used whatever Photoshop skills and I found this program that I downloaded and was making maps for the entire show and working set and Aside from a couple other like commercial gigs and 
uh, I was the post-production coordinator on the first two years of the Soul Train Awards when they came okay. back. <laughs> so, so let me let me just make sure I'm following you. So, yeah. the uh, Oz, Oz, what's it called? Oz Production the Source Book. Source I, book. I guess okay. I brought it up because, um, you know, I think I don't know if other states or other markets have this, but it is a great resource for like, you know, emailing people that are making content or getting right. hired to like actually help produce content here. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of states have them. Like I know Tennessee has one that the state publishes. Okay. That's their, their uh, film television entertainment resource guide, right. you know, and you can look and find locations, people or cinematographers or whatever. And um, so it sounds like this is that same thing, but with a private publisher. And you can, you can also just, get listed on the f- the film office does have a website where you can like basically sign up to be on their crew list. Gotcha. I don't, I've never gotten a job that way. So I don't know who has <laughs> as, as nice as those things are to talk yeah. about though. It sounds like they have been of little use to I you. I wouldn't say they have, but when it, it just felt good to like have something to latch on to, even if it didn't do that much, like it was nice to just be, or not nice. It just felt like I was actively doing something when I had very few contacts just to email these people. Um, and like some would respond, some wouldn't. Um, I think if I had been more, been more like, it was only about a month. Okay. Where, I was like out of work and like just emailing every day and sending out a resume to getting this gig. But ultimately it was a personal connection. It was a personal connection. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even like a personal connection I had made (laughs) while working at tomorrow pictures, which was, you know, like it's kind of frustrating thinking of back on it. Like I, you know, I had a degree and like, like had done like legitimate, you know, film work and it was right. just like a friend from a random friend from high school right <laughs> it's so that i like, just you know it's so common though i mean yeah. it's, so it's like many it's, times it's the not stories go real nepotism way. but it's nepotism well it's it's <laughs> you you have a frame of reference and yeah. you and you know this person and, and there's something i think about longevity of relationship or like people that you knew at a point in your life when they weren't playing the game already mm-hmm. Like I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm referencing some something that's not really true, but I think when people really start pursuing film, sometimes it changes the way um like I hear stories anyway about networking events and things like that and it feels like friendships are sometimes formed for strictly professional like career advancement reasons, you know, and I think there's some power in those friendships that go back before any of that was part of it. Sure. Not to say that the networking and all of that isn't beneficial and useful and on the up and up, but I think there's something more core that, you know, sometimes those people that you know from farther back can, yeah. I don't know. Does it, that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, I can't, it's not as random as I guess I'm making it. Like we went to high school together. I don't know that we would have ever connected in college if I hadn't known her from high school, but like we stayed connected through college. And I think by the time she was like in her junior year, she was working in wardrobe. Okay. Or working in wardrobe and doing production office work. So by the time she graduated and then I graduated, like she had probably had a year 
where she was somewhat established in costumes and the production office. So like she knew I was looking for work and like I was had a degree and like like I had I, I had actually like gotten uh, a job for her sister who was also doing some film related stuff um, at Tomorrow Pictures. So we had been working together. So it's not like like she knew my history. So right. I can't say like if I had just like you know gotten an English degree and was like looking for a job that she would have just been oh hey by the way like I know somebody like I can never fault or like say that like I made bad moves because I had no no connection to the industry before you know getting a degree and getting an internship in the process of getting that degree yeah and then getting like actual on the job training while I was still in school which you know I was the only person and my college that like I think was able to stay on past the internship like with the place that I was oh at. I see so like I was actually working yeah like while in school right and I also had access to you know still like low not necessarily great quality equipment but I had access to a lot of equipment yeah while I was in college so like I can't say like any of that it all just kind of like I hustled and yeah. like, it worked out and like there are a ton of people that it didn't work out <laughs> so right. like there is some weird luck to it and yeah. uh, that's frustrating to admit but like there is like so and maybe you know it's interesting i've you know i've talked to a lot of people about sort of the course that their life has taken and i i think luck does play a role mm -hmm. but um but but that's that's definitely not all of it. You can see, you know, they say luck favors the prepared. Sure. And, and I think that there is now just because somebody approached something correctly doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get a certain result. Right. Like life is more complex than that. But I, I do see that, you know, if you're willing to hustle, you know, that's that's yeah. an important ingredient. You know, and yeah. that doesn't mean by itself that you'll be successful. Uh, but it seems like a really common uh, factor. Um, you know, I wanted to I wanted to uh, talk or ask your opinion a little bit more, especially when people are starting out. And it sounds like you had some of this in your experience. One, I think, real challenge is that there's a lot of people out there wanting to do this kind of work, and mm -hmm. you hear it you hear it discussed in different ways, but most people do end up doing some free work, you know, early on. And, you know, it seems like it creates a, uh, an environment where people can be taken advantage of pretty easily because there is somebody hardworking, willing to step in and replace somebody who feels like the, the pay versus the hours or whatever is not really worth it. Like, and this is a tough question, but like, do you just chalk that up to, um, you know, essentially life tuition or, you know, how, how do you navigate that balance of not giving away too much, but also giving a, you know, doing what you need to do to get a, a, a foothold? I can't really say that I've done a ton of free work. I've done a lot of underpaid work. Okay. <laughs> um, and I would, I guess you got to look at the you know who's producing this content right like if it's a student film that you're just volunteering to work on like they're not going to be able to pay anybody you might be able to 
get <laughs> it's that like kind of trite you know email where it's like you'll get a copy of the, <laughs> the film right. right when they did the, i guess everybody has youtube copies or vivo or whatever right but it used to just be like you get you get a meal and a copy of the final product <laughs> for yeah. your reel you know right. and like even as a student you know producing you know the two or three videos that I did for my classes like I couldn't afford to I could I couldn't afford anything right so like it was all on favors and you know just relying on like you know this is everybody has to help each other do their projects cuz you know that was part of the requirement of the class or whatever yeah um in the indie world and if people are just doing personal projects i think you should expect to work for free like it's i think it's rare that you'll get paid for that kind of work especially if you have no experience like it's different if you're paying like if they're you know rustling up enough money to pay like a seasoned director of photography that has a kit and like gear Right. And like skills that are going to help produce <laughs> the final product versus just like, you know, PA labor. And like, you know, every great set runs on PA labor, <laughs> right. you know? And like, it's a great way to learn and like impress some people that might be able to take you on to a next, another paying gig. So, yeah, I, to answer, to shortly answer your question, like, I think you should expect to to work for free but like also the like the legitimate I say legit I use it I guess studio pictures or you know corporate productions you know there's very very few unpaid opportunities with them right you mentioned underpaid underpaid <laughs> and I think you know in some way you agree or disagree but I think in some ways the underpayment is actually a bigger problem because yeah. I think when you work for free, like you kind of know what you're yeah. in for. It's like I'm here to to help somebody out right. or to make connections or whatever it is. You generally have some concept of what you're getting out of it instead of money. Yeah. But in an underpayment situation, you know that's a little bit different because they're still it, expecting a product. And yeah. They're ex they're they're trying to get the the deal but they want you to produce something that they sh would be paying full price for right if yeah, they have exactly, some money right they're not paying you less of a rate to do less work right yeah. and so it's it's hard to know how to navigate that because it feels well frankly it feels it can feel quite insulting right it can if, I if mean, you don't understand yeah. why the rate is lower anyway and like you know this is i've done it through multiple types of jobs and like you get it's, it's the, I think the easiest way to burn yourself out like you're doing trying to deliver at this I think a lot of us are people pleasers yeah and like you know you'll want to do your best job um, and they're not looking at it they're not necessarily looking at you as like a person just trying to make a living <laughs> you know they're just trying right. to get what they they're, they're using you and so like you know understanding think as you get more experience and more connections and just more I think I said it already but just experience like knowing your worth and knowing when you need to walk away from something that's the only way you can negotiate anything is knowing when you should walk away and they won't take you seriously unless you're willing to walk away 
And like that goes down to even now, like negotiating myself <laughs> on these big movie projects. You know, it's like you're trying to cut me on a rate that I've had established for three years, and this is like the fifth. <laughs> I should, well, I should, maybe shouldn't name these, but like they're trying to cut me on my my rate that I have established, like on paper, like it's sending them time, like you know, actual pay stubs. Like you can't tell me you can't afford this. So it's it's either like you don't value my position, or um, you just think I'm a dummy and like I'm gonna take a lower rate because like, you know, I want to work on this project and right. like you gotta know your worth. I walked away. I, like it usually works out. Like I got Baby Driver over it, you know, and like that is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, like I I've gotten other jobs simply because like I pulled off some stuff on Baby Driver that hadn't been done before. I got no like. I got an industry award for what I did on Baby Driver. So, like, sometimes walking away from, like, something that seems good but, like, should be better than it is, like, pays off. And you just got to, like, know when to roll the dice on some of that stuff. Wow, that's great advice. I think it seems like just listening to you and remembering part of our earlier conversation, like, a choice to hire somebody again oftentimes isn't really personal. You're just trying to make the best choice for the project. Mm -hmm. And... You know these producers and line producers and department heads. They're uh, they're probably doing this the same thing in a lot of ways. They're, the, you know, everybody's being dictated what, you know, what they can do and what they can spend, and they're they're trying. I would guess, to to get their job done in a way that, you know, it's. I guess what I'm saying is not personal necessarily. They're not trying to insult you with a, with an offer. Sure. Exactly. Well, yeah, and like you can't take any of this personal like it's always a negotiation you know i'm in kind of a weird halfway point too or like i saw people i have to answer i'm not like the line producer or the production supervisor i'm the and like i don't have an agent like some other department heads like i'm not like i still have to negotiate my salary so like i have a lot of sympathy for you know people coming up under me that work for me that like you know are trying to like you know negotiate their salary with me or like nego like you know i get like basically a small piece of the pie of a you know 40 50 million dollar picture or maybe more so like i recently did like a, a five million dollar picture and like the one thing that's consistent uh you know depending on how much money i have to work with to actually get my job done is like my staff like if i don't have enough staff to do it and the right staff to do it like the job's not gonna get done the way that it needs to, and for the the amount of money that I've been given to do it. The tricky part is on like a larger film. I might have some like staff cushion where like I might have like a couple extra more PAs than like I normally would, or an extra assistant location manager, or you know maybe one or two more union positions than I would get on a smaller project. So on those smaller projects, like you end up working more hours. They they actually <laughs> being more lucrative but I can't bring on as many people and for the people that I do get to bring on you know they might they actually might make more money on that one than they would because it's an hourly you know it's hourly positions and like they're covering the job of like maybe one and a half people instead of a one person job you know mm -hmm. so like you might you get overworked and am I hearing you correctly like <laughs> you're saying that a smaller project may may turn out to be more financially lucrative but you're gonna have to do more heavy lift lifting i think so yeah yeah or like you know you, you hear like 
on TV shows versus film. Which, you know, the pace of a television show is insane. Like, I hate it. I won't, like, I can't say that I wouldn't do it because you can never say never in this business. Like, you never know, like, what you'll be offered for the right TV you were show. you Walking Dead for a yeah. bit, right? I, I, and on that one, um, I've done two full seasons of television in my career. And the pace is just, it's personally like untenable. <laughs> yeah. Like you're just you're, long hours, long hours. You're constantly in prep on one project and you know, uh, or on one episode or one, I think the way that they produce, um, you know, episodics for Netflix and some of these other premium like or HBO, they do it in blocks where they shoot two or three episodes at once. Or, you know, they cross-board them to where, like, you're in the same locations for two or three episodes all right. at once. Right. Um, that seems a little more doable. I haven't done one of those. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> every TV show I've been on, it's been, you have eight days to shoot uh, a one-hour episode. I've, I've never done half-hour, but uh, you have eight days. It's usually, like, four or five days out on location, three days on stage. And, okay. uh, like... While that episode 101 is being shot, you're prepping 102. Uh, so you're kind of and, doing two jobs at once. And then as the department head, yes, you're scouting with a new director. Um, you know, in my position as a location manager, yeah, you're scouting constantly for the next episode and looking ahead and also just trying to, like, come in on budget. So you're leaning on your key assistant manager's and like you know your your lieutenants to kind of run the show while you're prepping the next one, and uh, so you'll get a lot of experience on that one as the key assistant. Like you're basically managing the department while your while your department head is you know in prep. I see. Um, it's a maddening pace. <laughs> <laughs> so that's and, what like what I'm, I was just trying to do the math on your number of days versus it's like eight pages a day. Um. Something like that. Like in, you know, usually a company move or two a day. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, you, on a feature, you got, you know, anywhere from 40 to, on a normal, like, uh, kind of mid-range budget, 40 to 60 days to shoot. Yeah. And uh, you'll sit at one place for two or three days and, you know, maybe have one or two company moves per show. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, it's just a lot of movement and a, a lot of man hours that are just you know your your team's working like crazy 14 18 hour days they're making a lot of money doing it because they're you know getting their overtime but um in that on those jobs you want your strongest people and you don't have time to train people and like on on the movies i've done you know there usually is like that kind of like you know we can bring in the screen person and kind of see if they can cut it and if they, right. they make it through this one, I might bring them back to the next one and give them some more responsibility. And if they take to that, like on the third one or the fourth one, we might start talking about bumping them up, but like into like a higher position and higher pay. But like, you kind of got to make it through the first one <laughs> right. and like, just, you know, do the job that you've been like, you know, without 
you know, a bunch of kudos and pats on the back and like, you just got to make it through right? and get hired on the next one. (laughs) So one of my questions and you're, you know, you're alluding right onto this, but what is, um, what's a typical day like for you? Um, you know, and I I suppose that begs the question of like in prep or in production or, you know, whatever you think would be most interesting to talk about. I, I, you know, started out my career in post-production, basically, like mm-hmm. either basic, you know, just managing these like already shot, this already shot footage and trying to turn it into something for a client. Right. And I now live my life in a <laughs> constant prep and production. Like I never get to go on to the post. Yeah. So my life is very much more laid back during prep. <laughs> okay. Uh, up until, you know especially early prep, like I'm basically just scouting and overseeing, you know, a range, depending on how many locations we have and how big, how hefty our location breakdown is like usually like one to three scouts and, um, doing some of the prep work myself, just researching, you know, helping some scouts, you know, if they're having like a tough time, like finding and shooting what, you know, we're looking for like helping them kind of manage their days a little bit so where do you know uh, scouting mm-hmm. uh, what uh tell us about what what that really <laughs> is i i've done scouting myself but never in your position right. exactly well it starts out pretty you know like you, there's very little structure when i start like uh, sometimes i'll get hired before the production designer sometimes okay. i'll get hired <laughs> before the director uh, usually the producer or the production supervisor hires me or some, you know, I've, I've had a couple jobs where like, I just got hired directly by the studio. Like, we don't know who any of these people will be like, here's the script, get going. <laughs> and you just break down the script. Um, you know, for me by location, like other department heads have to break their, you know, they're paying attention to different things. So Pete, do you get a, uh, broken down script for you or do I get you do your script. own? You get a script, and <laughs> then you break it down. Yeah, it's yeah, what tools do you use for that? Um, I really like it's for me. It's just rudimentary, like a, like literally Microsoft Word. Just go in and like create like a almost like a set list. Okay. Like if the production designer is already on, he might have already created a set list. These are done in like Excel, yeah, or like or Word, like yeah. Um, usually like bas- basically in. S- almost script order you'll get like set numbers as well that correspond that ultimately go into my budget and like (laughs) they become the set numbers that like accounting uses whenever we're creating purchase orders or check requests or whatever but like in the let's assume like i'm the only person on like i just kind of got to go in and create some some groundwork because sometimes the studio is looking at me like you know like where should we put our production office um, because oh, that, interesting. that, that, um, dictates where the 30 mile zone is the TMZ, right. you know, like, um, a lot of times I'm just taking educated guesses. Um, like, you know, it's, if it's a lot of country, like you might want to put your production office somewhere outside of Atlanta. So you have a little more leeway. Mm. Um, if it's all in the city, it's like, you know, you can put it wherever you want. Like we're never leaving Midtown. You can kind of get a sense of just by reading through the script, like what, you know, you're going to be required to find what they'll want to build. Um, 
as a set as a set yeah. right on a sound stage or in a warehouse that you know wants to be a sound stage um you know and that just kind of comes with experience like you know it's if it's exterior it's probably going to be on location right if it's interior and it's only like half a page they're going to want you to find it because they're not going to want to spend all them like if if we're going to you know adam's house for you know half of the movie they're gonna want to build <laughs> probably right. the interior it's gonna be on a stage or you know like there's a nightclub scene and you know suddenly the sprinkler system goes off or there's a ton of stunt work where you're shooting it up or you know that's probably build because like you're not gonna necessarily go into a real place and, and set off or the you know they're gonna want you to yeah. find a closed place so you just kind of there like my job in the early days is to kind of play director producer production designer when there is none of these people you put on those hats I, and try yeah. to make educated decisions and like i stay i very much get out of my lane <laughs> on those right. i put together the movie i want to put together and like sometimes i'm way off and a lot of times like i'm kind of right on the money and like when people once people come in they either like respond to what the options we're showing them and um you know they latch on to certain things and then other things is way off and it's not what they had envisioned and that's where you just don't take it personal and you right. you adjust to the creative decisions that you know you get back in your lane right you you know i wear the aesthetic hat and then i wear the logistics hat and it's you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting role to be in cuz like you start out kind of as like the key one of the core members of the creative team and then like once we're done scouting and we've tech scouted like the director hardly ever talks to me again <laughs> because right. they're busy like with their their dp and their production designer and you know like you know it's not to say like i don't have interaction with those people like if it's usually though as the problem solver like i'll come in because like they're having issues and like need yeah you know some logistical help or you know like oh my god that that lawnmower like gotta get it stopped or right um these planes keep <laughs> flying yeah. over our set like they're yeah. ruining our set it's like sometimes or you know like we need a train schedule like there's some things that i just can't provide and like you just got you know hopefully it's been prepped well or like you've had time yeah. to kind of think through these problems and get ahead of them it feels like just just thinking about this whole thing of <clears throat> in you know you've had a couple kind of stories one where you were not in your lane and that wasn't a good thing yeah. and some where like not being in your lane is actually an important part of your job at this yeah. point and been trying to think of you know how we, how you would know when you should be in your lane and when you're out and it seems to me anyway that if staying in your lane or getting out of your lane is going to make your superior look bad then you should stay in exactly. your lane if it's going to make it's them all look about, good. It's not. It's then a, go ahead. I hate to use this analogy because, like, it sounds. It's we're not curing cancer. We're making movies, but it's a lot like the military. Like you, you want to. You're doing your job well if you're making your boss look good. Right. And sometimes that means thinking like your boss, and like especially if your boss hasn't been on or hasn't started the project yet the person you'll ultimately answer to, you want to come to them and be like, Hey, I've thought through some of this stuff. Like this is what we can do. And you know, they might not appreciate it. Usually they do. Like as long as, you know, 
you're really not <laughs> like I'm not like going in trying to be like I've already got like a crew hotel set up and <laughs> I've picked your production office like you know, I'm not doing that kind of stuff I'm giving right. them options right so they can make their decisions right um, and you know like it it's all good practice for you know ultimate I don't want to be a location manager for the rest of my career like mm. I'd like to be in that position one day where like have you know like I want to be ready whenever someone's like, I need a production supervisor. Um, I trust you. I can teach you what, like, you don't know. Like, you want to take the step up. And that, like, you know, that only, you're only gonna, you're only gonna get that opportunity when you've proven yourself invaluable, but also have proven that you're loyal and, like, can do the job that you've been asked right. to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, like, as a cinematographer, you know, I've had situations where there's a company move and I, I can't get on to the next location, you know, because I'm, I'm at the last one, the day right. is pushing, and we show up at the new place and the gaffer was able to get there ahead of me and pre-light it right. without us having discussed it. Right. And nine times out of ten, that's a really good thing, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a gift, you know, because it's like, oh this looks good and we're going to make our day versus right. from walking in and starting from scratch. I think at least from my perspective, that's a time when that person's initiative made me look good, right. helped us make our day, even though he was making decisions that generally I would be more integrally involved in. And I think that's one example of something that's actually pretty common in film. I don't know. Would you oh, say that's well, your yeah. I mean, like, you know, this isn't, most people's passion projects you're getting paid to do a job so like you know at the old, at the end of the day like it might not be exactly the way that you would have done it but like you hired that person they probably have worked with you before they know what your expectations are and how you like things done they're working off that and maybe throwing in their own thing or making you know choices yeah and like you've hired them well hopefully <laughs> so like you have a shorthand and like they made you look good like and you got the day done like all drinks all around right <laughs> like, right. like uh, totally like yeah. that's why you know you have staff that's why you you know try to make good choices when you're hiring them right. <laughs> you don't want to just hire all green people <laughs> <laughs> right exactly yeah. so um, you know when you're looking for location you know you've you've made a breakdown you know mm -hmm. which if anybody doesn't know what a breakdown is, that's when you take a script and you analyze it essentially on a scene-by-scene -scene basis sure. to see what's needed. If you're in charge of locations, you're going to be looking primarily at locations, but every right. department does this. Well, and, and locations and also, like, the other elements that would play into, like, is that going to affect what kind of location I have? So, like, usually, like... I'll just have a set number because or a location number because like it's nice to refer to things in numbers <laughs> every once in a while. Well, specific anyway, right? The header like exterior, exterior RV, <laughs> and then you like take notes. Like, is it does it talk about like what that what's surrounding the RV? Is there like a a tree nearby that like is integral to that scene? Like. Does a meteor hit <laughs> right next to it? Does it seem sparse? Is it around other things? Like, is it at night? Is it during the day? Like, there's a lot of... Like, you, you can get as detailed as you want. Like, sometimes it's great to have a lot of detail as the department head, but you just kind of want to, like, siphon off some info to, like, pass off to scouts, like, a little more easily digestible. And that's why, mm -hmm. like, it's... 
I usually like everybody that's working with me to read the script, but like, you know, to get up and running, like you just want to hand them like a one or two page thing that says like, this is what we're looking for. Like, these are your assignments. Right. Here are two or three, you know, two or three things. Uh, there are some things that are a lot more time intensive that you're scouting for, like getting into people's homes. It, you know, it's a bit of a legwork because, you know, not everybody's just going to let you in right. to take pictures. Right. Um, they want to check you out a little bit or, you know, f- look up the project and, you know, or, you know, find a time to be home. Sure. You're catching people not at home a lot of times, so you're leaving letters kind of explaining the project and, you know, sometimes they'll take two or three days to get into a place. Sometimes they won't let you in at all. Like, right. And, you know, scouting interior homes is hard because, like, you don't know what's in their house. Like, you don't know. You don't know if it has, like, that staircase you're looking for. (laughs) Right. So, like, you know, you got to kind of take some educated guesses and, like, you might be way off. Sometimes you just get really lucky. Like, there's a lot of luck to it. And, like, some a lot of times you're just relying on things you've seen in the past. You know, we all kind of have this internal bank. (laughs) It's like... That's really cool. It's not for this project, but I'm going to remember right. it. You for file that away. Yeah. So how much when you get a new project, how much of what you're doing is going out and scouting fresh locations or drawing from some sort of database whether that be mental or mm-hmm. or, you know, digital? I'd say, you know, like it's it just depends. Like some jobs that it might be like you have you know, there's all you know, there's only two or three of each of these places like you know there's only so many like old abandoned train yards you can find in Atlanta or in Georgia so you know those and definitely the ones that are inside the 30 mile zone so right. that you know you have those folders you have those files if you've been doing it for a while um, you know there's some things you can just endlessly scout for <laughs> and those are the what ones those tend to be? Like, yeah. houses <laughs> Okay. Houses are the hardest. In- interiors, especially. Interiors are really yeah. hard. Um, and yeah, that's another nice. You know, if you're in, like, that's another nice fault. Like, if you're in a house for a long period of time, or you know, four or five days worth of work a week, like, they'll probably end up building it. So, like, you know, like up front, like, I don't need to spend that much time on that. Like, it's better just to knock it out of the park and find the exterior that they love because that's going to inform what they build because they want it to match. That's interesting. And I guess uh, also, especially if it's, you know, half page, one page, whatever, short short amount, it's likely uh, it becomes more important uh, proximity, uh, you know, because, yeah. you, like, you don't want to drive especially a long with TV. way for a, like, a uh, short you know, piece. For a feature, you know, you can, you know, do a 20-mile move at the end of the day, like... For TV, you might be doing, you know, two or three of these locations in one day. And, like, the more you can kind of... or That's another thing that you can look at it from a logistical standpoint. Like, these things will probably be found in the same place. So let's try to find these three or four locations as a package so we can just sit in one place for two days. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, uh, a movie that I shot a few years back, it... uh, had two locations that were radio stations. One of the story threads had right. to do with a small town DJ who then moves to LA as his career right. uh, progresses. And, you know, 
we'd actually scouted two different radio stations, one for one and one for the other. And then when it, of course, actually came down to it, we shot it all in one and just redressed. Right. You know, because it saves so much. Yeah. But, um, okay, so uh, let's see. You, I think as far as like your, just sort of your story or your journey, we got up to where you'd started making maps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And then we've been talking a lot about what you do now. Like, was that a fairly, like, predictable, gradual process of working your way up the ladder? Yeah, I mean, like I said, like, there was probably the first year and a half, I was still kind of like, I'd get a location job, be on it for a month or two. Uh, You know, when you start out, you're basically, as a location assistant, you're just on during production days. Like, you might get lucky. I got lucky on the first one and had, like, a month of prep just because they needed like a gopher for the there was looking back on it they were really understaffed there was only a location manager and assistant location manager for you know a 25 day shoot so like that was a lot of prep um so like i ended up helping them you know notify neighborhoods like passing out letters like hey we're coming or um, physically going down to the permit office in the city back when it wasn't digital and handing them a check and you know getting the actual permits or um you know picking up cones picking up all of our equipment getting our you know equipment kit together and driving the truck around and uh that job went down and like i was off for like a month but i you know made enough (laughs) again like in like you know two months of working i'd made like what I would normally make in like a year at Tomorrow Pictures. So I was like, I got some cushion. I can relax. Well, you it, know, it's like, interesting, you know, talking to people who have done sort of low paying <laughs> but predictable jobs for a while yeah. who have made that jump. Uh, for a lot of people, it's super scary. But for, for many of them, they fairly quickly are able to make, yes. you know. Like when you start, like I, I had kind of figured it out. It's like if I work at like $150 a day, which was kind of the going PA rate back then, 150 to 200. Um, I can make, you know, what I was making at Tomorrow Pictures in seven days. So yeah. seven days versus 30. And like the other time I can just be working on, you know, other things that like would, you know, either get me jobs later or like making connections or sending out my resume and um, you know, there wasn't a lot of downtime in those early days because you get like those one to two day jobs where it's just like we just need you for two days, and like you know, okay, cool, I made some money and. But still, like, the math on your uh, <laughs> earlier job was fifty bucks a day, if to make a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> right. So yeah. even PA work it pays quite, you know, yeah, quite a bit better. And than you're getting that. you're getting fed while you're, right. while you're working. Um, it's probably longer hours. Yeah, and like that's it. like you're making overtime usually on the the uh, like once you work over twelve hours, you start making overtime on that you know base rate. Right. Um. So yeah, I'd have some gap. I think the longest gap I had in that first year was like two months where I didn't get anything, um, and then you know would get some commercial gig or like I said, I was. Um, I did the post-production coordinator for... I was the post-production coordinator for the first two, I think, 2009-2010 Soul Train Awards. Okay. That was just a random thing that got me 
you know, back out of locations for, you know, a six week period. And, uh, but yeah, and then I ended up on a TV show doing locations with the same manager. I did like a, a second unit on a big action movie called Killer, or big at the time, Killers. Uh, it was that Ashton Kutcher and okay, yeah. <laughs> what was her name? It was, it was the movie where like her career kind of like went down the toilet because like she got bad press for like yelling at neighbors or something that were oh, like really? knocking on her tra- What I forget I her name. Remember that. She was at Catherine Heigl. That's it. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of like when she stopped getting hired. <laughs> really? And it was because that. One, that movie didn't open well. Okay. So, like, she was a lot of hassle, and, like, that movie didn't make any money. So, like, they're like, okay, maybe her star has fallen. (laughs) And then, yeah, I I actually got in with one location manager that I've worked pretty consistently with for about four years as her key. And, um, or key assistant manager. So, like, basically her right-hand person. Um... And from that point, like, she kind of helped. We were on a job. We did Goosebumps together, the first one. And, uh, you know, I told her, like, basically, like, you know, let me me step up and do the second unit on this one. And uh, because we had worked together for four years and, like, you know, very loyally worked with her, like, even, like, you know, if she went down for, like, a month or two and didn't have work, like, I'd try to find a job that I'd stay available for her. And uh, if she got something, and uh, so I did the second unit on that one, and on that one I was definitely underpaid because <laughs> like I was making a, a a really like the most money I'd ever made, but I was also doing two jobs. Like I was king the main unit and managing the second unit, and there was two weeks where I probably should have been making like crazy overtime that I just you know just kind of chalked it up as like this is this is my big break like I just need to do a good job and I think we were working out of town um on location like outside the zone so like I was in a hotel for two weeks and I think I was sleeping in like three hour intervals throughout the day like I'd get called and I'd go into town I'd drive into town like set was like five minutes away from my hotel and I'd work for like six, seven hours. I'd go back and sleep for like two or three hours and then get woken up again and have to go back. <laughs> like, as I don't know how I did it, but you know, it worked out. <laughs> and that's kind of when I started getting more jobs to department heads, some shows. So, um, so you making know, making that transition was a little any transition in this business is hairy. Like, you kind of start from this basis of not knowing how to do the job and like it's sink or swim and you know it's you earlier said that uh it was an example of when you were underpaid um but that you felt like you kind of needed to suck it up in order to mm-hmm. you know and it, but it, listening to the rest of the story it sounds like maybe that was true i don't know uh, what, what like, part? Like, did it help you make that jump that you were hoping for? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I guess, to tie all that together, like, if we're talking about, like, union guidelines, what I should have been putting in, like, I was should have been in a forced call every day. For, like, I was working basically, like, five or six days. I think I was doing six days at that point. And uh, 
like you know like we have eight hour turnarounds per our union you know collective bargaining agreement i should have like been making double time like every day right and i just didn't put in for it because i thought you know like they're just gonna like tell me i need to like f- you know take the time off but like the job's still in the beginning <laughs> and it paid off like I didn't felt taken advantage of doing it because it was my choice, you know, but like the job still had to get done. And like, that's, you, you just find yourself in these points where it's like, I can, I can be the squeaky wheel and like, you know, they weren't going to fight me on it necessarily. Like, but I might not have gotten a good, um, reputation from that. Like, Oh, this guy's just trying to like make as much money as he can. And like, we don't need this. Like, I would have been making my bosses look bad because it looks like they're mismanaging me and taking advantage of me. Right. Right. And maybe like, it was just like weird circumstances. Like I was on my own, you know, doing two jobs, like uh, of my own volition, doing the work of two people because it was a good opportunity. And like, it would have been very easy, I guess, to feel taken advantage of and say, like, oh, I need to get everything that, like, that you're due. due to me. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at it more objectively, like, I put myself in that position and it worked out and, like, I got to make the jump and, like, from that, like, kept getting, like, pretty consistent, like, department head offers from that. So, like, you know, the long term of that, very much so paid off advice wise i guess it's easy to say like there's a lot of times where you're gonna feel just taken advantage of because like you're giving up family time to do this job like you're giving up you know having like a normal <laughs> a normal <laughs> like life. a normal life like I, you know i don't get to go to the gym like i it, 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 or work out or like have hobbies like uh, my weekends are you know basically just dedicated at this point to like spend as much time as I can with my three and a half year old <laughs> yeah or like my wife or just you know trying to get the grass cut like yeah you know you work a a short day in the film industry is 10 hours right so you do a 10 hour day like you don't have a lot of time to get home and be leisurely <laughs> So, you know, we've talked, let's talk for a minute yeah. just directly about what the hours are like. You know, you're you're already making that segue, but, you know, on a film that I worked on, it, we were working 12s and with a 30-minute lunch, so call and wrap were 12 and a half hours apart. Right. And, you know, people hear that, and and if it really was that your working day was 12 and a half hours, I mean, that that's a, that's a long time, but... <laughs> but it wouldn't be tolerable at a certain level. But then, you know, for many of us, our day starts well before call and yeah. ends well after wrap. Yeah. And uh, w- what, you know, what do you what do you find your it's your normal. actual? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how, what's that like for you? And uh, how do you how do you tolerate it? Um, I'm unique because I'm off production. Like you, you know, or you have a call time, you have a wrap time, you know, and that's, right. a, you're a slave to the camera. <laughs> right. I get to come and go. Um, that, all that to say, like, I found the more expensive you get, the less you have to, hours you have to work, right? Yeah. <laughs> or like, uh, you're, 
maybe that's a but they're always going to try to use the cheapest labor they can to do like the longest hours because like see. that incurs the most overtime and you know that's how uh things just work out <laughs> like that's the nature of the business so you know back when i was a pa and making 150 bucks a day for a 12-hour day uh i'd find myself working 18-hour days and uh you know sometimes by myself were you making any overtime yeah. at that point okay. yeah i was so, so it was like, 150 for 12 150 and 12 so that's what i'm saying like you know some some of these jobs where you're kind of being relied on for way more than you probably should as one person you're getting compensated for it. yeah um it's tough to maintain a life <laughs> so like I, I, as you're starting out I would expect to work no less than 14 hours because like if it's a 12 hour shoot day as a PA you're usually there at least an hour before and probably an hour after even as a set PA you know they're they're in there prepping you know they show up in the AD trailer and on a TV or feature project and like you know they have you know the prep skins for the background or um, preps uh, sides for the actors or you know just be around to help get you know cast breakfast and stuff like that and then you know they're getting out times from other departments <laughs> as they leave you know my team is there you know two or three hours ahead of the company you know making sure that lights are on at crew parking security is in place the caterers got into their space okay um, air conditioning's getting turned on on the set um, work lights are up and then at wrap, they're just making sure everybody gets out without damaging stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, security's in place. So, you know, like if we have a, f let's say for the sake of argument, we have a 12 hour day, my department is on set, you know, is there for, what is that? 18 hours. Yeah. And like, uh, if we're shooting nights and going into the day, there's the, the prep crew is still coming in you know the set decorators or the rigging electricians or grips or um, the painters or whatever they're coming in and redressing for like another scene so like it very quickly turns into a 24 hour deal for us right and uh, you know I'm on call for all that <laughs> um, right. so at, while I can say like you know I might not be a slave to the 14 15 16 hour days of set like i end up you know when i get home like i'll be taking calls or um you know i i, I relatively get to stay on daytime hours now as a department head but um you know if we're shooting at night like if a problem comes up i'm there <laughs> or <laughs> uh you know they want to have a meeting at lunchtime which is you know 1 1 a.m <laughs> i'm there <laughs> Right. You know, and that's that's just kind of the reality of the job. I don't get stuck on set like, like, like you know, the other department heads that are on production. Right. Um, and you know, they have. I don't. I don't know how they do it. It. it, it especially as I get older, like it's hard to keep up with the hours. Like yeah. they catch up to you. So like I'm in a really nice cush, like as cushy as it gets. Like. You know, I kind of can keep 12-hour days, 12 to 14-hour days, and, like, not have to work all the overnights. Right. 
but like I'm giving up free time on the weekends sometimes to deal with things that come up or you know angry neighbors <laughs> they don't they don't wait for oh well I'll get you at a better time whenever it works for you <laughs> let's talk Monday right, right no like we you know some random crew person drove over my daisies next to or you know backed into my mailbox like I had uh, Roger Deakins uh, ripped out a satellite dish <laughs> that he never told me about on Prisoners and just like ripped it out of the ground. Like, I don't know how this little man like, took a cemented post and ripped it out of the ground with his bare hands. Like he went into beast mode just over something like he was mad about something else and like took it out on the satellite dish. Wow. So it wasn't for a shot or anything. It it was, just... Well, he was like, and I told you to get this out of here. I mean, like, Okay. Like, he had it. <laughs> but, like, maybe he thought he had. Like, it was a very not cool <laughs> thing he did. But he did it, like, two days before Super Bowl. So, like, I had to, like... And the the homeowner we had a contract with but was super pissed that, like, they were potentially not going to be able to watch a Super Bowl at their house. So I had to, like, you know try to move heaven and earth to get Comcast out there two days before the Super Bowl. <laughs> so these oh, are these boy. are the things that I have to deal with sometimes. Uh, the hours, you, you know, you gotta love it. You really do have to love it. I, uh, the people that I see that are just kind of like super burned out, they're just not happy doing what they're doing. Yeah. And, it, you know, you can't you got to find some personal fulfillment in it or like i think the money ends up being pretty great but like like when once you get past all the um you know the uncertainty of having like a job or not or you yeah. know getting established once you're established like the money's pretty good it's hard to walk away from yeah but a lot of people should because they're oh, burned out <laughs> yeah so do you find it like you just told a story about kind of uh, putting a fire out is yeah. that a big part of your job and do you like putting fires out <sighs> it is it's a part of my job you know i'm really big on prep like i my the best thing i can tell my team is like all of our work should be done the day before like the crew should just show up and it looks like we're just holding coffee doing nothing like and that's the perception that a lot of the crew have of our department they don't know what we do um I'll, what was, I'll, the, what was the question admit, again oh, I, I got like, i got off track um problem solving do you enjoy problem that and is solving. it a big part of what you do or I putting out fires there, there's something really rewarding to figuring out a problem putting out a big fire like being the hero yeah it weighs heavy yeah <laughs> like you know like everybody thinks that money can change everything or you know put like change anything into the positive some people can't be bought yeah or like you know some people don't think that it's worth the headache or some corporations don't think it's worth the headache of working you know, with us, even just like from an insurance standpoint, the liability, right. like, uh, you know, their CSX won't work with film. Right. Um, that, that's a train company. Sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the airport doesn't give out their, you know, train companies don't give out, um, schedules and flight paths because like, it's, it's a liability thing. Like right. got, that got in the wrong hands. Like there's a bombing on a train all of a sudden, like, who got this information? How'd they get it? Right. They just don't give it out. So like 
we're sometimes, you know, just in a rock and hard place between like, you know, a production that like feels like, you know, they don't they know we're making a movie. Just tell them we're making a movie. Like we just need it. Like they don't understand. (laughs) They don't have to like, we're bridging this gap between like, you know, wanting to own the world. (laughs) Well, I think that's one of the things that really the realities of like making a film. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think that your job description is right there in that gap between everybody's sort of dream and vision for doing something and the actual world yeah it's like yeah okay let's go shoot Times square we're gonna blow this up and like have helicopters flying everywhere like somebody's making that happen right (laughs) it's usually for a very like staggering amount of money right (laughs) and like you know like no but no every most 95% of the crew people that show up have no idea like all the legwork and the hours and the man hours and the conversations and like the very like particular conversations of like we will not put x y and z in front of this window and then like you know the entire company shows <laughs> and even though you have it coned off they just start slamming things into this coned off area <laughs> Yeah, like they're you know they just have no clue, and like they they like look at you crazy whenever you're like you can't be there, and they they don't understand like why you're upset. Yeah, it, <laughs> and well, they just don't care. <laughs> in the in the producing and locations management that I've done, which is certainly not on your level, but um, <sighs> you know you what you agree to with the owners of the location, right. you try to anticipate obviously the needs of, course, of the film, yeah. but then the it seems like without fail, the crew comes there's in. There's always something. There's always you can you can only anticipate so much, and that's part of my job is just giving us that wiggle room, right? Like yeah. you go in like this is what I know. This is what I can anticipate will be a request or could come up. This is what we're taking in precaution to try to prevent X, Y, and Z from getting damaged. There's always a possibility that something's going to get damaged if you have irreplaceable or like emotionally <laughs> like value uh, emotionally valuable stuff that right. can get damaged or destroyed. And Please take get it replaced. with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, your grandma's quilt or your great 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 grandmother's <laughs> quilt. Let's take that off the dining room table. <laughs> Let's pack that away. Right. Cuz somebody's going to spill coffee on. <laughs> right. Um and then, you know, like, you want to, I want to always, like, work with a lot of integrity yeah. and stand by what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like, you know. Because that's, I mean, that's the first step in yeah. getting said no to. Ne- yeah. I mean, not doing that is the first step in getting and said no to. a lot of no times to. we're being told no. And, like, yeah. my job is to push the envelope and, you know, get what, you know, we need. Yeah. And a lot of times in pushing the envelope, you have to, like, make promises that, yeah. like, you either, like, you just got to, like, know when you say, like, we can't do that. Or, like, it, and because we can't do that, is there, like, another alternative? And it really comes down to, at that point, like, bringing in your producer and letting them be the one to say, we can or can't do that. And uh, you just got to know, like, when you got to involve other people. You're talking about, like... like letting a prop fall on a floor because this actor wants uh, the, the director wants to stage something a certain way uh, something as simple as that yeah or up to you know like we have seven hours to shoot uh 
you know, a 180 onto Interstate 75 <laughs> in oncoming traffic. <laughs> Can we get this done? Right. Yeah, and like, you know, that's that's above my pay grade. So like, you know, I'm pushing the envelope, but like I also have to know like when I need, you know, other people need to come in and weigh right. in. And something like, you know, like it's scripted like they throw a glass at the f- the ground and scratch it. Like it's going to scratch. So right. like you know, we can put down a rug and if it still gets scratched, we'll come in and refinish your floors. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, if that person misses and punches through the drywall, <laughs> right. <laughs> or you know, it hits the drywall, like we'll put it we'll give you a new wall. <laughs> we'll patch it and paint it. Like I right. You know, there's some things that can be fixed that you know, you in my job just you know, the the goal is to you know, at the end of the day maybe everything didn't go exactly the way that like we thought it would, but like it was a good experience. You'd have us back or you'd let me bring another show here. That's what I'm like always aiming for. That's what most location people are aiming for. And to leave walkthrough like with the owners afterwards, do you do a walkthrough and talk and talk about everything? I mean, there's usually like, you know, whether something went well or not, (laughs) there's just, you know, you get, it's, it's sometimes it's subtle sometimes it's not subtle although some t- i mean they I have been compensated ex- so like yes. there's always that but like i had one experience where i did not know that uh that somebody had gone into a restroom and had <sighs> major problems and left it very much in disarray yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah anyway see that's then like you know on a movie you have a person on that set that, you know, there's multiple days of strike. You're gonna notice it, right? Like on, on a, you know, a project I just did where some days we would blow in and out in one day, like which is what that you do on commercials or even some TV shows, like things like that slip through. Yeah, and that's when you just gotta like the more you can prepare people for like, hey, like I'll there's gonna be things we miss, like I'll make it right somehow. Like we'll get a cleaning crew in there, like yeah. on that, like. Right. Or, you know, someone will come clean it up like that. That's materially, uh, materially curable. <laughs> right. It's a thing. So it's like a problem that can be yeah, fixed. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we structurally messed up your house. That's a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> the foundation Which doesn't, is doesn't shifting, usually yeah. happen. You know, like if, if you're doing stuff like that, like, you know, that's part of my, like, to think, like, we need to get a structural engineer in here to see if, like, that ground over there can support a crane. Right. You know, like, right. Uh, or, you know, we're going to mess up their grass. Like, we need to be ready to resod it or, mm-hmm. you know, if their grass isn't that important, at least seed it, you know, do something. Like, pound out the ruts. <laughs> right. Know, just, right. And, like, you know, you got to have the money to do it. So, like, thinking ahead, budgeting for that kind of stuff. Like, it all just takes experience and just having done it before. Like, you don't know what you don't know until you're in the moment where, like, oh, I didn't know I didn't know that. The the unknown unknowns. Yes. (laughs) Have you seen Errol Morris's film? Uh, No, I haven't. It's it's based on, like... uh, Rumsfeld, right? Yes, Ronald Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld. The yeah. unknown, I know. Yeah, he's one of my favorite doc film uh, directors. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a good film. Yeah. I have a couple more things I want to hit. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. So no, no, that's that's perfect. <laughs> that's what what we're here to talk about. 
Earlier, we were talking sort of about the hours and the work-life mm-hmm. balance. How many days in a row are you usually working? And what's your balance of days off versus days working? Because I know that's one thing that makes filmmaking pretty different than a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, it's full tilt, you know, working super hard. But for, for a lot of people, sometimes then there's a, a break in between things. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. What do you find that being like for you? And is it the balance that you want? I ideally I would get like four to six weeks off a year. Right? Okay, that happens usually just with like you know there's usually a hiatus around Christmas. Okay, the beginning of the year is usually slow. Like there's usually a couple weeks in the summer that you get off. I heard last year was busy at Christmas time. It, well, it, I ended up working all all over the hiatus, but yeah. usually I did have three weeks off last summer where we got to go like. Or it was, you know, a job ended, a new one was starting, and I had a start date on it, and, like, there was this three- to four-week gap. So, yeah. like, you end up just, like, learning how to travel last minute and, like, you know, right. plan things kind of, like, no, like putting a thumb on, like, hey, that's going to be a good time to travel. Like, I'm going to keep an eye on that. And then just doing it, spending the money <laughs> to go, like... You know, get some sanity. Yeah. But sometimes you need to just spend that at, at home getting your life back together. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, during prep, you know, it's normal to work like 10, eight, 8 to 12 hours a day, depending on how aggressive the prep is and, you know, how far out you are until we start principal photography. Usually about four to six weeks out it gets you know to be 12 14 hour days because you're yeah. budgeting or Things trying to contracts done or yeah you got tech scouts going and you know you're actually like starting to enter locations and building on location and stuff like that remind me i feel like i got off track again oh but what's uh, the balance just sort of the balance of life? days that you work how many days it's, that you it's work monday for... through friday usually um, and Friday typically turns into Saturday morning because they start on day day work and then do go into night Switch work. Switch to nights mm-hmm. halfway through the week. So like they call it Fridays or F U Fridays because <laughs> you know like right. you know, you're back on a day schedule on Monday, so usually messes up your weekend. You get a Sunday, right? And there have been projects like Baby Driver where we had dueling units, so you know all the interstate work happened on the weekend and uh or the big stunt unit work would happen on the weekend and i was managing two units so we'd have i think the main unit was on a wednesday through sunday schedule and then the second unit was on a sunday through wednesday schedule (laughs) (laughs) or saturday through it was saturday through wednesday schedule so like i didn't get a day off for 10 weeks straight that one that was unusual and like i yeah. told you the goosebump story where it's like you know maybe sleeping six hours throughout the day for two weeks <laughs> that caught up with me like you know i got sick at the end of that mm. and like had to like t- take a very long weekend just to like right. get over right whatever crud i had gotten right do you feel like you're working the amount you want to work uh, i would love to uh, I wouldn't know what to do with myself at this point if I were working like an eight-hour day every day. Oh, interesting. I'm sure I would figure it out, but like it, the, I don't have any frame of reference for it. Like I, I haven't. 
I just feel like I'd have all this extra free time. Who knows what I'd do with it? Probably squander it like most people. <laughs> I'm, I, I really like what I do. So, yeah. um, sure, there are days where, you know, I'd rather just go home and hang out with my kid or like veg on the couch, watch some TV or go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> go, go work out. But, you know, there are other days too where it's like, you're, you kind of are done and you're just kind of like hanging out. You find yourself hanging out, just talking to people or like, you know, you can leave, but you're still there. And you're like, you know, there's something to that too. It's mm. like you do get jaded sometimes and not realize like, you know, there are a ton of people that would kill to be where you are right now. Right. And like you get used to it, but it, it's cool. We do like cool stuff. Yeah. That's fun. true. It's and true. like you, you're making like, it's not curing cancer, but it is, it's magic. And it's, you know, like there's something kind of, there's an intangible to that, that yeah. kind of like, again, if, if, if you're just totally miserable, find something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, for sure. life is too short to be miserable, but if you love it, like the hours might be miserable sometimes but they're fun they're war stories like, yeah you know it's very interesting because i i feel like uh you know i've done a lot of teaching in my life and i've done a fair amount of production and i tend to put in fewer hours a day when i'm teaching but i feel like when i'm on set it feels like there's 10 times more work that gets done mm-hmm. like there's something there's something that's energizing just about how much work is getting done yeah. that that, uh, that is daunting in a way but also really satisfying like you, you realize that like it's 10 o'clock in the morning and we've already like I know that's like a, a military slogan or whatever like there was an, an ad back in the day but like by 10 in the morning oftentimes it feels like you've gotten more done than, yeah. than a lot of folks may get done all day sure and that's I find that really satisfying. So, but you mentioned um, just a second ago, war stories. And that's actually, <laughs> I think about my last question is, do you have any, like you've told some stories, you've shared some stories, but are there any that we haven't, uh, that we haven't already surfaced that you think would be worth telling? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Deacons one is pretty uh, iconic. I'll never forget that moment watching that dude. Just like, rip so you were there you I saw it there. yeah yeah um <laughs> so it was in his shot i take it yeah huh it was in his shot the, the, uh, no the dish no it wasn't oh it just was where he wanted to put his camera oh well, okay. and he only shoots with one camera okay and like you know like not to get too like he's a lovely guy i really enjoyed working with him like the most prepared thoughtful consummate professional yeah i've everybody seen interviews ha- everybody with him has their moments yeah and he, you know he's he's you know, he's this little wiry british dude like very proper buttoned up but like something snapped in him that day. There, was, there was something else going on that i just don't know like we'll never know to this day but yeah like because whenever you know you do these like really intense dp scouts with him uh, once a location's picked, he goes back with his gaffer and his rigging gaffer and his key grip, 
and he literally plots out the location like on an open bird's eye view and then he sits there and sketches his master he tells you where every single light's going to be and the and like the cable plans like he does all this like i don't think like <laughs> being his scapper is going to be like the easiest job in the world cuz he just sits there and then like he pre-lights most of his stuff too like so he'll show up the night before the day before especially on like big exterior night stuff and pre-light it with his gaffer and like you know the whole crew <laughs> the whole lighting department shows mm. up for these things yeah so like he's very prepared like and for that he's i'm sure a very expensive hire like from a producer standpoint but like mm. the quality of images you get like they're just sophisticated and layered and like lit like like i've never seen somebody light like him it's mm. insane mm. but like yeah you get like this this overhead that yeah. he hand draws and gives yeah. to you <laughs> where like this is where I want my lights this is where I want my camera like get rid of this we don't need this like we want to put x y and z like that that satellite dish never came <laughs> or I would have known of it <laughs> like he just like snapped <laughs> and like I don't know if you've ever tried to like pull on something that's cemented in <laughs> to the yeah. ground like that yeah I don't know how he did it. <laughs> um, let's see. It's not even like a complicated one. It's like you, you live and die by these like small like victories and defeats <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but they wanted to get this shot of him pulling out of a parking garage. I'm pretty sure it got cut from the movie. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, uh, it was coming out of this public library parking garage in downtown Atlanta. And right next to it is this high-rise building that has all this construction going on. There's three, like, 30-yard roll-off dumpsters. And the building just would not, like, let me remove them. Like, I was like, I'll pay to, like, have the people come out and take them away, like like 7 p.m. have them back by 5 a.m. on stand like I'll, we'll just move around the corner like what like I'll permit a lane to put them in nearby so they don't even leave and we'll just move them like just let me figure this out and they're like no like the contractor's not gonna go for it we don't want to we don't want to deal with the hassle it's not worth the hassle so <laughs> um I kind of went down with like the stunt driver and we figured out just how much they needed to move up the street. And, like, our special effects department <laughs> had, like, this great all, like, this huge forklift okay. at our base camp that right. they were rigging with. So I got a police escort, because I hired the police. Right. So I got a police escort, and I drove that great all through downtown Atlanta <laughs> on my own. <laughs> oh, you were at the... I, well, at my, the ba- my, my actual background is... Uh, <laughs> I unloaded, uh, loaded and unloaded trucks at a, uh, a truck line for like oh, okay. half of college up until okay. I started at Tomorrow Pictures. So I had, you know, and over the years you just learn how to drive some of the stuff because it's in the way or especially as a location, like, you know, equipment gets left behind and like, yeah. it's like, we got to move this. And it's like, sink or swim, figure it out. <laughs> so I drove with a police escort, a gray doll up to Cohen Street. <laughs> And I moved both, all three of those <laughs> dumpsters. I just like picked them up and moved them 
think 20 feet just skidded <laughs> them up the road <laughs> we got the shot and i like i drove the grate all around and parked it in one of the lots i bought for the night okay and then at the end of the shot it took it back and <laughs> moved the dumpsters back and nobody ever knew what i did and those are big dumpsters they are yeah it was like pissing my pants <laughs> Like some, and it was loud, and it was the middle of the night, and it's not like totally residential, but there's like apartment building, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get busted. Like, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> and this is, you know, the, I guess that comes like most of my job is following the rule of the law, the rule of the contract. Yeah. Um, but I also just you gotta know when to break the rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like you know ultimately nobody was getting hurt by it like we weren't damaging any property like they just didn't want to deal with the hassle they did, and we had it we did actually have a filming contract with them so it's like right. they were under contract so on that one what they didn't know <laughs> didn't hurt them hopefully they're not listening to this <laughs> right <laughs> but you know oh there's another baby uh, you know we we had this really complicated um <laughs> it's really uh involved permit that taken me like five months to get to actually film on 7585 right by turner field it's the in the first scene where he like comes down the wrong way on the the exit ramp and 180s in the oncoming traffic and starts driving up and um you know mixes in with the other red cars and they have the overhead and stuff and all of this has been like that scene was cut before i started the movie like he had previs to the entire thing okay so it's like it had to go down this way right and um you know we found the right stretch of road to be able to pull it off on where it worked logistically that we could actually close and like control we never closed the interstate but what we did have was like a line of cops that started about four miles out from our picture cars and um they would we would basically form a line to buffer the actual... To slow down the traffic? To pace the traffic down. They paced them to like 25 miles an hour. So they were still moving, no closure. And then I, with the lead officer, would like follow this other, the last vehicles ahead of us, you know, which were still moving at a decent pace, even though they like saw like eight cars behind. (laughs) They, They slowed down a little bit, but you know, we just kept up with them. And so we'd create this gap where you know these other 40 precision stunt drivers could fall into this gap with the camera and get set up to drive you know in this bubble that we were creating yeah and we had state troopers like blocking you know other people from getting in On with them and yeah. Stuff. yeah and it's all relatively logistically sound but it cost us $140,000 to do it and probably 20 cops and like they gave us one Sunday for between 7 a.m. and 1 p.m. to get it done and it was the day that uh, the days shifted oh the time change daylight savings yeah. so like it got later it got darker it stayed dark later that day like we didn't have oh, sun up to like 8 so it was really like 6 hours right <laughs> And, like, you know, shooting this huge sequence with, like, a biscuit rig and actual, act, like, actors in it. And, like, it was just a huge 
thing to pull off. Yeah. And on top of all that, like, you know, we were up and rolling throughout the day. We had done like maybe 10 passes of it. And like, it was going like clockwork. And then the rain starts rolling. <laughs> and like, as the day got later and later, like we were not able to get as big of a gap as we were like, it, like traffic, traffic was volume was going up. Volume was going up. Like I think there was some like tech basketball game or something going on. And like, people were just rubbernecking like because we had an off-ramp closed with like this huge like camera rig on like a process trailer type car thing people were just slowing down at that point just like what's going on right and then the rain starts rolling in and i'm I'm sitting here like five miles away from our like you know actual stunt area and like just watching i can see the rain like the wall of rain because <laughs> we're five miles away and i had like a kind of uh, i'm just watching it on my radar and like i'm getting texted by like edgar wright <laughs> our producer who's in london <laughs> and our line producer and then my counterpart the supervising location manager who's standing up on the exit ramp just like what's got like like how many are they gonna let us extend i'm like talking to the extend the permit past one and like right. he's like there's just like i've been giving really straight like we're not gonna with the way that traffic volumes are going like we're just not gonna make it like we're not gonna be able to do this past one anyway I'm like yeah so i'm giving them all this bad news and like <laughs> we just really needed one more pass one more pass to get it right like as just like and we're it's like at i think like 12 50 at that point oh wow <laughs> so we're like they're like you know just like everybody's praying to baby jesus <laughs> like, and i just see this gap in the clouds <laughs> like guys like i think at that point it was like 1257 or 1258 something like that and i was like we're not i looked at the the officer like my lead you know state patrol guy i was like we're not going to be done with this run by noon or by I one. Won. But if we start it <laughs> before one, like, can we, you know, he's like, yeah, if you start it by 1 PM, like we'll make this run and that'll be our last one. And like, I saw the gap in the clouds. I was like, go, just go. I said, the guy's like, I don't know if this is going to work, but this is our last shot. Like let's, we're going to go for it. So everybody was already in place and it stopped raining like halfway my way up there and like I know there's like prompt people like fiercely wiping down windshields and right <laughs> like you know I can hear all this stuff going on over the radio where like the uh the precision cars are like on the interstate the can't you know we have like the ultimate arm rig with them like and uh it just worked like uh, like we got that one last shot like <laughs> and like nobody was like everybody was watching right like it just like we probably would have gone for it anyway but we just got it's all about luck <laughs> like yeah. you can prep and plan and do it like it all comes down to like did you get your lucky day <laughs> yeah and like all that to say like we ended up having to go back and reshoot it like another day because like they mi- they like missed a shot so oh. like we had more time but like that in itself was lucky too that we got a second day to do it um like you can prep and plan and that's the way this business goes like you get dealt a fair hand or like a lucky hand sometimes and sometimes it just doesn't work out right you just got to keep keep trying 
Wow. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, man, this has been awesome. Thank you for sharing so generously. (laughs) No Uh, problem. Yeah. So you're on hiatus right now. That's yeah. That's my unlucky hand. I uh, (laughs) yeah. Just uh, uh, technically, I think I'll find out tomorrow if it's just a week. Gotcha. They were, they told me it was just going to be a week, so hopefully Monday I'll be back at 12 weeks out. Gotcha. <laughs> and hopefully they are working out whatever cast deal memos they needed to. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, 12 weeks out, and we you know we picked a couple things, and or the directors have picked a couple things, still looking for some other stuff, and you know they've got. This one's complicated because we're shooting in Miami and Atlanta, and we're trying to match Atlanta to Miami. Oh, interesting. So a lot of the driving stuff, which takes place all in Miami, like they're we're trying to figure out like what, if any, will get established in Miami, and what we'll have to pick up here. And what movie is this? It's a new Bad Boys. New Bad Boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know just trying to do a lot of interiors here and get you know whatever exteriors they need in Miami so you know they have eight weeks here and two weeks there and the Super Bowl's happening in the middle of all of it so we have a chunk of time where we can't do anything on in downtown Atlanta at least for around the the Super Bowl stadium so we'll see how it all goes (laughs) well I wish you the best with all of it yeah no problem So lots of good stories. Uh, I don't know about you, but I get the impression that Kyle enjoys what he's doing and that he has a good time doing it. The other thing that in re-listening to this interview that really strikes me is the irony that they got that final run before the rain and before their time window closed, but they still had to go back and shoot more. So that's sometimes the way it goes. You may one day experience a big success that feels like you're getting to the top of that big mountain that you, you've been climbing. But, you know, usually uh, in a day or two, you, you, there's another mountain to climb. And, uh, and that's just sort of the way that it goes in filmmaking, I think. It's about sort of sticking it out over the long term, I think, both on a project and career-wise. I think that uh, being persistent is an important aspect of being successful. So anyway, I hope you'll join us again next time for Pictures Up.